Hi, everyone. This is Jason Birak of Wall Street for Main Street. Welcome back to another Wall Street for Main Street podcast interview. Today's special guest is Trace Meyer of Run to Gold. Trace is an entrepreneur, investor, journalist, and monetary scientist. He holds a degree in accounting and a law degree from California Western School of Law. He has studied Austrian School of Economics, focusing on the work of Murray Rothbard and Ludwig von Mises. Thank you for joining us here today, Trace. Uh, thanks, Jason. Glad to be here. Great. Now, um, Trace, you wrote the book, uh, The Great Credit Contraction, um, a couple years ago, right? Um, what's your view of the macroeconomic situation right now? Because we have this QE to infinity here, and we have a, the, the macroeconomic situation is different depending upon where you look. Because if you look at what the governments are doing, it looks to me like they're increasing their leverage, they're borrowing more, they're getting more credit, and the private sector, the small businesses, and the consumers are getting less credit, their interest rates are going up, people are trying to delever like crazy. So um, what's your take on all of this? Uh, well, as I wrote in the book a few years ago uh, with the great credit contraction, this is uh, the, you could say, equal and opposite reaction to the great credit expansion. And what happened is about 500 years ago, the average person used gold or silver or some tangible commodity, whether it was cows or salt that millennia ago, as their money or their currency. And over these 500 years, we've gone from, from holding the actual physical commodity in our hand to using a complete illusion, uh, the U.S. dollar, euros, yen, uh, whatever they are, these fiat currencies, coupled with fractional reserve banking. And all of this is pyramided out into a gigantic liquidity pyramid, uh, which you know pretty much everybody's kind of seen the liquidity pyramid that I, that I made, though it's modeled after John Exeter's. Uh, liquidity pyramid from the 70s when the when the gold uh, and the dollar link was severed, and so during this great credit expansion, we had all types of crazy exotic instruments, particularly derivatives, and uh, since the great credit contraction started, and that's the thesis in my book is that it has actually begun. Uh, capital is now burrowing down the pyramid into safer, more liquid investments. And uh, that capital, which doesn't move down fast enough, well, it was just illusory anyways, and it just goes poof. It evaporates into thin air. And we saw that when auction rate securities had their bids dry up. We've seen it with Lehman Brothers. And so really what – to get to your, your point or your question about QE to affinity, well, the nation states, the governments of the world, they're using their, their currencies, which are like their common stocks, and they're diluting, diluting them through a form of currency debasement through this quantitative easing. And they're doling out these newly created shares or you know, all of these fiat currency units to the banks. And so they're allowing the banks to take their assets, which are higher up in the, the liquidity pyramid, which have lost their real value, uh, but they're not really marked to market. They're just marked to myth. And they're allowing them to put them to the Fed, and then the Fed gives them these new currency units. So they give them $100 billion worth of mortgage bonds or whatever uh, that are only worth maybe two full hundred billion dollars. And that's how, that's how this wealth is getting transferred uh, from holders of assets that are higher up in the liquidity pyramid to those that are able to move down the pyramid faster. Uh, but eventually, we're going to see this QE to infinity result in the worthlessness of these fiat currency units because you can't just like keep 
pushing buttons at the Fed and creating trillions and trillions and trillions of, of these units and not have them become worthless. And that's when the capital will move into gold or silver or other uh, tangible assets which don't have counterparty risk and are limited in amount. And it also looks to me, Trace, like um, the, the money itself has been completely destroyed, like you said. But when the Fed does these quantitative easing programs, it's really destroying the private sector. It's cannibalizing the private sector. They're destroying their own tax base. They're hurting the profit margins of the businesses that they need to take the taxes from. So in the short term, they continue government borrowing, increase government borrowing, make uh, keep the politicians in office. But in the long term, they're destroying their entire tax base. They're destroying the economy. They're not solving any of the long-term fundamental problems with the economy at all. Yeah, and you know, it's really a kind of a testament to the resiliency of the free market that that life as we know it is continuing to to go on the way it is. Uh, despite all of the just the machinations that are going on. It, it's really kind of crazy when you look at everything they're doing. And I think a lot of that is because of the increased complexity of the economy, especially as we move into the information age, uh, the, because the economy has this ability to route around a lot of the damage that they're causing. But you know, like you like you said, they're they are killing the economy, or at least they're trying to. Uh, but you know, humanity, we do have a lot of productivity, we do have a lot of capital. Uh, whether it's calculus that Isaac Newton uh, came up with. Uh, centuries ago, or whether it's a lot of the latest and greatest innovations, all of these things are human capital. We have lots of uh, real estate that's already built. We have processes and ways of doing things. So, I mean, the economy is very resilient in that sense, uh, but they're doing everything they can, it seems, to just screw it up. And, you know, it, they're all looting, too. They're just they're just taking as much as they can. And, and a system like that, uh, because it interferes with the pricing mechanism to such a large degree, it is bound to uh, fail. And so what's on the other side of this, uh, we don't necessarily know. But, but uh, we do know that this can't continue going on the way it is. Yeah, I, I would completely agree. And you, you mentioned looting, and to you, I was going to bring up an Ayn Rand uh, character piece. You, you have a, a bunch of Dagny Taggarts and a bunch of Henry Reardons who are trying and working harder than they've ever worked before just to keep their heads above water now, like in the private sector economy. And, um, you know, it, it's just getting worse and worse and worse and more difficult. More rules, more regulations, more taxes. Your profit margins are, are vanishing to a large extent due to inflation, and you can't pass the cost on to your customers because your customers, uh, a lot of their the money that they have is evaporating too. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that uh, sentiment. And, you know, there there are also John Galtz out there, and there, there are actually people uh, who have mixed – perhaps John Galt with uh, Hank Reardon and De Acuna. And so the tools that we have now in the information age that allow us to play these multiple different roles uh, that we see from that uh, Atlas Shrugged movie, uh, you know, I, I think it would be incumbent upon a lot of people to, you know, look at how they can they can play these different roles and compartmentalize their lives in ways that they can uh, hang on to more of the fruits of their labor. Because we have tools available now in the information age that allow this to happen, and and it and it allows us to to do a lot of these things. <laughs> 
Yeah. So, so you would expect then that Ben Bernanke so far has managed to keep basically things uh, in a stagflation type environment. He's printed all this money. He's doused everything in monetary gasoline, but there's been really no inflationary expectations, no velocity of money yet. Uh, I don't know how much longer he can keep things in stagflation before things go one way or the other. But I, I do know this, Trace, that gold is going to be the big winner here, no matter which way things go, in my opinion, because I don't see anything else uh outperforming gold. I see gold gaining against the Dow. I see gold gaining against uh, real estate. And I see gold gaining against other commodities, too. Um, yeah, I mean, I would <clears throat> I would agree with that to a point. Uh, obviously, with my website, runtogold.com, I'm a big gold bug. Uh, but but gold was actually... Uh, um, I, I've, I've come to come to think that there will actually be a more upside with something like Bitcoin as opposed to gold uh, for for numerous reasons. Not that gold's not going to perform uh, and and help people protect their savings and whatnot, but in terms of where the where where the needs of the market are solved and being able to route around all these things that happen, I think Bitcoin's a far superior instrument. And is that because Bitcoin's more liquid and easier to transact in than gold right now is? Uh, yeah, that's uh, precisely the reason. Um, like gold, for example, it, it well, Bitcoin is to gold what math is to physics or chemistry. So really, all the all the advantages of gold, such as it being uh, physical in the sense of being made out of atoms, uh, that's actually one of its largest downfalls. Uh, because when it's physical, it has to be stored. It has to be somewhere. And as we mentioned earlier, uh, governments, confiscation. Well, are they going to confiscate the physical gold or are they just going to do it through tax policy? And I think that they'll, they'll actually do it through tax policy. Uh, and we're already seeing the opening salvos of this uh, getting laid. We have hard currency controls. If you try to uh, take $5 of pennies or nickels outside of the U.S. or you try to melt them, uh, melt or export, 10 years in jail. So we've got hard currency tr currency controls with draconian penalties already, and uh, you need to file FACTA. So if you have gold held with a third party, you have to file that on a FACTA, and the next thing is uh, they're going to tax it. You know, maybe that maybe there will be a net worth tax or an unrealized capital gains tax that they try to implement, and all of these things. Uh, you know, it comes down to gold actually being physical and and therefore having to exist somewhere. Whereas Bitcoin, on the other hand, because it's it, it in my opinion, it's just as real and just as tangible as gold is. In fact, it might even be more real because it's constructed out of numbers and not out of atoms. And because it's constructed out of these numbers and it's based on cryptography and it runs over the Internet in a decentralized network, the largest decentralized network in the world, by the way, with over 300 petaflops. And the Department of, Department of Energy just came out with another supercomputer called Titan, which has 20 whole petaflops. So the Bitcoin network's uh, already an order of magnitude larger than the Department of Energy's two largest supercomputers, which are uh, 15 and 20 petaflops respectively. And so uh, – and, and with Bitcoin, it is liquid. And so when I look at this liquidity pyramid, 
capital is moving in, going to move into the safest and the most liquid assets. And so gold, obviously, is a very safe asset. It's nobody's liability. It's not subject to counterparty risk uh, if you hold it properly uh, with a trusted third party. You know, Because if you're going to be vaulting millions and millions of dollars worth of gold, you don't want to stick that under your bed, right? Um, and so you can hold gold very safely and not be subject to these risks that are in the current banking and financial system. Well, Bitcoin has all of those same advantages. Like gold, it's an equity-based instrument. It's not anybody's uh, liability. It's not subject to counterparty risk. If you see the Bitcoins in the blockchain, you know the quantity and the quality of the Bitcoins, so you don't have to worry about this tungsten uh, in your gold bars like uh, we recently saw in New York with the 10-ounce 10, uh, 10 gold bars. So, And then... Uh, Bitcoin is far superior in terms of liquidity. Uh, I was just at a conference down in Phoenix. It's the largest conference for the prepaid ATM uh, uh, industry. Uh, there were 800 people, you know, senior executives or whatnot, and uh, ATMs and, and credit cards and pre prepaid cards. And we did a presentation. It was the first one of the show to these 800 people, and we sent eight we sent twenty thousand dollars worth of bitcoins from China to my mobile phone. And it can't be seized, it can't be confiscated, it can't be interfered with, uh, and it can be done in a completely anonymous way, just like you can be transferring gold, except you don't have to worry about customs agents. And so uh, when, in terms of wealth generation, uh, I think Bitcoin is going to be far superior to gold because it allows the market to route around all of this damage being caused by the politicians. That's a very good point, Trace, and I think our listeners definitely need to take a look at Bitcoin. And um, as opposed to a gold standard, which I think a gold standard would be good, but I actually prefer the competing currencies because I don't think anyone should have a monopoly on money, and I think the market should decide what's the best form of money by their vote. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that. You know, I, I do think that uh, the principle of sound money, you know, as Mises says, it's uh, – it's a bulwark against despotic inroads on the part of government. It belongs in the same classes as constitutions and bills of right. And so having gold and silver legal tender in the U.S. Constitution, I think that, you know, is, uh, well, it doesn't say that we have to use gold or silver, uh, that the states even have to use gold or silver, because that's really what it's about. It's a prohibition on the states. So there's no, there's no jurisdiction or authority in the Constitution that allows the federal government to make anything legal tender, period. They can't make Federal Reserve notes legal tender. That's unconstitutional. It just it'll never hit the Supreme Court. Uh, but they can't even make gold or silver legal tender. It's up to the states because it's really a property rights issue and a contract issue and a tort issue. Uh, so if the states make anything legal tender, it can only be gold and silver. That's what's in the Constitution. And I think you know for the most part that's good. Uh, and then having these. Uh, you know, gold and Bitcoin, uh, they already trade. You know, they're both uh, free-floating uh, exchange rates and whatnot against other currencies. And so if people want to exchange their gold into Bitcoins, you know, they'd be able to do that. And so having these competing currencies, I think, is a good thing. And Bitcoin's just smashing open the door uh, because Western Union, they just released uh, earnings expectations and their stock plummeted 26%. And eBay just laid off 325 employees and 120 independent contractors. Bitcoin entrepreneurs, their business is booming. They're making all types of money, and they're hiring. So that's what's exciting is that freedom is profitable, uh, not just freedom in the monetary space, which is pretty much brand new because the governments, because they do control 
the payment mechanisms, Visa, MasterCards, PayPal's, the banking system, SWIFT, the wire transfers, all of that, they're able to really abuse their paper franchises. Uh, but now they've got themselves a competitor. They've got Bitcoin, and Bitcoin's going to continue sucking in more capital as the costs of the current system keep rising. Those costs in terms of time, in terms of money, and in terms of privacy. Uh, and Bitcoin really is a lot cheaper on all three counts than the current system. And so I see it uh, continuing to be adopted. And, and the more these regulators and governments try to intervene and screw stuff up, the more value the more value proposition Bitcoin offers. Uh, for example, down in Argentina, they're adding a 15% tax if you use your credit card outside of Argentina. So, you know, now people are starting to route around all of that, uh, trading their pesos for Bitcoins, et cetera, and then uh, getting their capital outside of Argentina that way. So it's very exciting to see this development happen in the payment space. You've, you've made a very strong argument, Trace, why people should at least start doing some research on Bitcoin and uh, adding it into their portfolio, at least for working capital or some liquidity purposes, in addition to their gold and their silver holdings. Um, as we change topics here to personal liberty, um, we, you talked earlier in the interview about gold and silver potentially uh, either being confiscated or for tax purposes. Um, what are some of the other rights that you see people losing very quickly? Because there's a whole long list of them. And uh, there was a book came out that, that came out in the last year or two where people don't even realize this here in the United States, but they're committing three or four felonies a day. So what is your opinion on all this? Are, are we just going to end up being cows that can continue to be milked more and more or are eventually going to become beef cows? <laughs> well, uh, I think that <laughs> I think it's going to depend a lot on what individuals do to protect themselves uh, because freedom and liberty uh, it's something that has to bubble up from the people, and the way I see the way I see it, at least with the information age and the tools of the information age, and the way that governments and everything have been reacting to it, is that this freedom is going to become increasingly a luxury good, meaning that you're going to have to be able to pay for it. You're going to have to be able to pay for your freedom or pay for your liberty, and if you're not able to pay for it, then you're not going to get it, and you're going to be milked, and you're going to be turned into a beef cow. And when we look at liberty and when we look at freedom, we have three distinct uh, time frames. We've got the past, the present, and the future. And the future is represented by our life interest. You know, that's why we shouldn't murder people because it's bad. It eliminates their ability to, to exercise their, their agency in the future. And the present, that's why slavery or involuntary servitude is, is bad. Being able to detain people without due process, you know, that's why it's bad. And theft or uh, taxation or things of this nature, that's taking people, the fruits of people's labors, that's how they exercise their choices in the past. Well, all three of these have pretty much been decimated. It started with the Federal Reserve uh, and the governments having control over the property and then the income tax, and that's how the property interest has been eroded. And now they're just able to do it with impunity with this QE to infinity. And with the National Defense Authorization Act, the U.S. government's claiming the ability to detain people indefinitely, both U.S. citizens and non-U.S. citizens, without access to uh, a trial or an attorney or being able to challenge their detention. So there goes that liberty interest in the present. And then uh, Obama has started ordering assassinations of innocent children 
with drones. Uh, for example, Tariq Aziz, he was 16 years old, and he went around photographing children who have been killed in drone strikes in Pakistan. He presented these photographs to the Bureau of Investigative Journalists at a conference in Islamabad, and three days later, Obama had him targeted and assassinated, along with his 12-year-old cousin. Uh, merely for his political speech on showing how the drone strikes are killing other innocent children. A second example would be Anwar Awlaki's son. Anwar, obviously a very bad dude, uh, but still not even charged with a crime. He was killed in a drone strike, and two weeks later in a separate incident, his son, who was 16 and a U.S. citizen, who wasn't even accused of being a member of al-Qaeda or anything else, was targeted and assassinated merely because he could grow up and be upset because his dad got killed. Uh, so, I mean, it, it's absolutely insane uh, that these that these institutions are assassinating innocent children. And so if anybody thinks that they really have any of these freedoms or liberties left, well, the curtain's getting, getting pulled back pretty quickly. And in order to protect yourself, I think uh, people have to really acquaint themselves with cryptography, and they have to learn how to disintermediate themselves from the current system as much as they can. And that's one reason I like Bitcoin so much is because it really allows people to take control of their property interests. Because you can have a private key to your Bitcoin wallet that has only existed ever inside your brain. You know, never existed on a computer, nowhere. And, and with that, you could control millions of dollars worth of Bitcoins that could never be seized or confiscated. That, and, and it's, so it's truly a it's, form of sovereign wealth. It sounds more airtight than a Swiss, secret Swiss bank account. Uh, it is, because the Swiss, roll, they roll over. You know, they roll over and their accounts can be hacked and, and, and the, the bankers that work for them deliver the tax records to the Germans. And there are actually a bunch of what are called black accounts, uh, and these are where the EU tax regulators are closing in on, on French citizens or whoever who have their money stashed in the Swiss bank accounts. And they're black, meaning they haven't paid their taxes on them. And so it's just a matter of time before uh, before those people get caught up in tax evasion or whatever it is. And so the only way they can really get their money out of those accounts is to withdraw cash and then drive it somewhere. And so now we got these cash-sniffing dogs at the border to Italy and Switzerland and things like that. And, you know, you can't sniff a Bitcoin. I mean, yeah, it's used to buy uh, things that you can sniff from what I've heard. Uh, but at the end of the day, you can't sniff a Bitcoin. There's really no way to know it even exists uh, without someone, you know, if you take proper measures, there's no way to know that you own or control a particular Bitcoin or not. And it, it's the most sovereign form of wealth I can think of because you know, even gold is sovereign, but it's still physical. And that means if somebody with a bigger gun comes and tries to take it from you, then they're going to be able to do it. Not that somebody couldn't compel you to turn over your private key somehow, uh, but it's, you know, a lot less likely in my opinion, uh, particularly for the average person who doesn't have millions of dollars worth of bitcoins. You know, you know, if you're like me and you only got one or two bitcoins, well, the private key to one or two bitcoins, then, you know, you're not really that big of a target and you're not a very good cow to come and milk or, or try to turn into beef. 
Very good. Um, as we wrap up the interview here, Trace, uh, tell our listeners more about your book and uh, your websites and any other products uh, you can offer them. Uh, yeah, I've got the book, uh, The Great Credit Contraction, which uh, gives an outline or an overview of where we're at and how we got here and kind of where I think we should be moving. Uh, and then there's rundogold.com. That's where you can find the book. I've also got a bunch of uh, products available at howtovanish.com. Uh, anywhere from uh, knowing where to optimize your state income tax uh, and how to do that to just general privacy tips. We In our book, we weigh the, diff- the costs and the benefits. And then uh, since we've talked about Bitcoin quite a bit, I've got a free Bitcoin guide, which you can get at freebitcoinguide.com. And that will show people how to kind of reduce the learning curve when it comes to Bitcoin and things like that. And, of course, all of the products are available for sale in Bitcoin because uh, if somebody doesn't want to have a, the credit card transaction that's associated with a How to Vanish book, which I don't blame them, like why not buy it with Bitcoin that you went and got with cash? <laughs> so uh, so I show people how to do that you know, because I don't take their time or their attention or their privacy for granted because I think anybody who's involved in kind of this liberty movement, they should be willing to accept Bitcoin. And if they don't, then in effect they're becoming an informant for the state because the state can go get credit card records. They can go get your PayPal records. They don't even need a subpoena to do it. Uh, but with Bitcoin, it's not tied to your identity. So uh, I think if people really begin disintermediating as much as they can from the current system, uh, it will be very helpful for them in the future because we know, we don't know how all of these records are going to be used. They're all database, tracked, archived, stored, they're searchable for eternity. We don't know how that's going to be used in the future. So, you know, really, just don't have your transactions show up there in the first place. Some great points, and I think that's some very sobering things for our listeners to consider because we we still have some people here, a lot of Americans who have not woken up yet, and they're going to come to a very painful reality that basically they're in serfdom right now, and it's only going to get worse. Yeah, and the thing is, is like you can break that serfdom. There's now with Bitcoin, like it's here. I mean, there's nothing I can think of that is more of a kryptonite dagger uh, to the state, more of a key to unlock the chains that bind you. Uh, Because when you have your capital in a bank account or if you're even storing it in U.S. dollars, in effect, you're allowing them to pyramid out and fractional reserve – uh, all of that stuff, and that allows them to craft the very chains that bind you. Like, why do you pay for that? I, I don't understand. You know, and yet Bitcoin's been around for years now, and more people haven't really adopted it. Um, and there's nothing like the power of the purse that changes uh, people's behavior. And so, you know, if your merchants that you deal with don't accept Bitcoin, well, you can stop using them. <laughs> Well, it appears that Bitcoin's getting to a tipping point now because it's starting to become more well-known. There's more conferences, and it sounds like more businesses are going to start to accept it. So then maybe Bitcoin will become uh, more widely used, and more people will start adopting it after that. Yeah, and that's what's going to be really exciting because the more capital that flows into Bitcoin, the higher the price is going to go, the more 
attention it'll attract, the more people will begin using and accepting it. It's so costly for the state to try and uh, do anything to stop it. Uh, the European Central Bank just wrote a report about it and basically just shrugged their shoulders about how to possibly stop it. So, you know, freedom's going to have to boil up from the people. And I can't think of a more important place for people to really assert their freedom than in their financial transactions. You know, it's fun and games until you start starving somebody of the capital that they need, the banks. When you start starving the banks of the capital that they need, then things are really start to change. Exactly. And the last two real votes people have, and I'm not talking about voting in election for politicians, the last two real votes people have are to vote with their money and to vote with their feet. Yeah. And and vote with your actions. You know, like if you if you don't if you well, you saw Atlas Shrugged, too, you know, Hank Reardon, uh, De Acuna was talking to him about, you know, you, you produce the very steel that builds your own prison. Like, why do you keep producing it? And so, you know, if you can, if you can go uh, John Galt, you know, from producing the steel, but yet have economic activity that's going on in Bitcoin, you're you're able to kill two birds with one stone that way. That's great. Um, in, in wrapping up the interview, Trace, I just want to thank you for your time, and uh, hopefully we can have you back on soon uh, with any other developments in the uh, macroeconomic situation. You can come in here and comment on them. Oh yeah. Love to, Jason. Thanks for uh, the interview. Great.